Hi, everyone, and welcome to Living a Legacy. I'm excited to welcome the program. Eric Couch. Eric, how are you? And we have a fantastic guest today. Go ahead and introduce him. Absolutely, Neil. Today, you know, we have comedian, actor. He's the voice of a million movies, it seems like, and recognized as one of the top 25 Hispanics in America by Time Magazine, Mr. George Lopez. George, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, we appreciate yeah. it for sure, George. Go ahead, Eric. We're ready to roll. Absolutely. Yeah. So, George, you've, you've been the voice of so many things. Of course, you had your, your own sitcom for, for the longest that everybody knows because it's your name, right? Uh, George Lopez. And then, and then you've been in <laughs> – I've got kids, right? So Rio, Rio 2, uh, Smurfs, and Spy Next Door, and just, you know, the, the voiceover. So everybody, my kids, my – you know, my everybody, my parents, we all know your voice. Uh, so it's exciting yeah. to, to hear, right? Because I was like, wait, I know that voice. Um, but, you know, well, tell us. It's exciting to hear if, if, if it's not, it's exciting to hear if it's not your voice. <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I could, you know, almost like a Batman suit, put it away and then only bring it out when I need it. But I get, I get, I get tired of it. Uh, I don't really talk to the dogs anymore because the less I hear the voice, the better off I think I am mentally. Really, George? <laughs> I love your voice. I mean, from I, I'm a huge fan of George Lopez's show. And it was just like one of, I just enjoyed always watching it. And I just loved your the yeah. ability of your comedy and all that. And I think your voice is so synonymous. But growing up, you didn't like it, even when you were a comedian? Well, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. I remember that rapper Tone Lope, when he was a kid, his mom... I think he had a sore throat and she might have like warmed honey up or did something that you're not supposed to do. And he was like, oh, and he got a gravelly voice as a right. child. Like in the late in the late 90s, I was doing a lot of clubs and, you know, singers know how to protect their voice. They warm up. Comedians really don't. And, you know, then it was more of a of a screaming kind of yelling type thing night after night. And then I, I kind of wore it down. And had to take uh, like almost a month off, and when I was able to speak again, it it, it became this voice. It was it was, more, it was kind of higher before, and then it became this voice. And then when I started to do the voiceovers, they all kind of fit within the register of the voice. And when I would when I would be like Grouchy Smurf, you know, and I would do something, and they would say, "Do you need some water?" And I would say, "No, man, this is the <laughs> guys are giving me water you're gonna ruin you're gonna i got it warmed up now right right you know but that's you know and i don't know so i'm a i was a vocalist you know got to go to college you know because they said if you sing it's free and i'm like well i'm broke so free is for me right <laughs> um you know so it's like okay did you get you know i hear that and i'm like well did george you get nodes i mean does that is that uh what the doctor said or yeah, from all, had a little bit pressure. of pressure. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I went to one of the, you know, it's funny when you when you go to, like, the first guy I went to was on Wilshire in a little place. And then I recently went to one because I thought I had swallowed something um, that was in a, in a glass. And uh, uh, the doctor, you know, he put the nasal spray in my nose and he puts the camera in there. And he puts it in there and he goes, when did you break your nose? And I was like, I, I didn't know I broke my nose. Yeah, I did. He goes, yeah, yeah, you broke your nose. It looks like a couple of times. I'm like, oh, my God. And then, I, you know, I said I had breathing. And then he takes a, a breathe right. 
And this is like the guy everybody goes to. You take the breathing right, put the alcohol <laughs> on my nose. He says, put this on. And immediately I breathe better. And I said, who invented this? And he's like, a genius. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's so yeah. simple, man. It's just a band that opens your nose up. It's brilliant. Well, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, you, you say that because you're like, okay, this this event changed your voice. But everybody on the planet recognizes your voice and it stands out um and of course yeah. the the comedic deal now the, the broken nose may be you know as a comedian right we're, we're, we're funny <laughs> in order to to keep from getting smacked by the bigger dudes so maybe there's two or three times yeah. where um you know I think, it was, uh, I think it was the old remember in elementary school and they go think fast and it's yeah. all that <laughs> yeah 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 i think it was the i think it was the old think fast yeah um, and as far as voice, I, I, you know, I got nothing for you other than, you know, people, people are like, oh, wow. So do you, do you sing to your wife every day? And I'm like, well, she doesn't want to hear me sing. Um, you know, well, and you it's know, like whoever, who, I, the masseuse, I, I you, music, do you, you massage know. your person every, no. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I love music and I, I love to sing, but I don't think, I think when I, when I, I've done a, a couple of it in public and it's, it's embarrassingly, embarrassingly funny. So. For humor, it, it, it accomplishes what I set out to do. And that's, that's right. That's that's the funny part, George, is, you know, and I, I've done so many interviews. I've done over 7,000 interviews, George, and since I started doing radio and podcasting and TV 11 years ago, and I hate to listen to myself. I won't listen to myself. I'm like, yeah. I, can't, I can't go back and listen to all the interviews. And I'm sure the same thing with you and shows. You can't go, you don't want to go back and watch all that, do you, George? No, you know, I, I did something that I think very few comedians do. Um, um, from the beginning, from early on, when I did the thing from the show, and I went from, like, clubs for a minute to theaters to bigger places, I've been transcribing maybe 90% of the shows, and I have I have them all filed away and on record. So that's been, that's been a great uh, tool for me to be able to work solitary because I kind of work alone and mm -hmm. during the day to be able to look back on shows by year, by month. I mean, it's been a great, great device and a, a great system that I set up. Yeah. So how do you prepare for a show? Uh, well, for, for specials and stuff like that, I mean, um, we, I would go on a bus, uh, through, I think we, we've started in Cleveland, went through Ohio, went through, you know, Pennsylvania, up to New York, to Buffalo, fly back to a place and meet the bus back again um, in maybe Chicago and stuff like that. So so the, the, the repetition of, you know, fortunately, you know, I think doing two shows a night is, is tough on, on somebody, anybody. Uh, yeah. But in order to kind of adequately get prepared, uh, you have to do two a night, and then as you work during the day, as the days get shorter, you try to look at the notes and try to assemble what would be the last thing I did, which was my Netflix special, which came out uh, at the end of June last year. Yeah, the road. You know, so what I'm what I'm hearing is what we hear from a lot of people. You don't you don't just walk on stage and you're automatically funny. I mean, you're either funny or you're not, but. But there's a lot of preparation, and as you said, you know you're you're going, oh. you know you're working the on it. The beauty of anything, 
the beauty of anybody who's a classical guitarist, who's a golfer, who's a singer, who's a, a teacher, you know, all the teachers that you connect with never really look at notes. They just seem like they're talking to you. And you're like, wow, man, I'm really interested in what they have to say. But if they're looking down at notes, it gives away the illusion that, that they know what they're talking about. So mm -hmm. uh, the, the better prepared that someone is, or, you know, they all have like kind of an identity, you know, if they want to be the, the, the fun teacher, but then when they leave work, they're kind of quiet. You know, it's all a sense of kind of performing. Everything is when you meet somebody and you're yeah. dating or if you meet somebody and you, you're, you're on a podcast or whatever form of communication we have today, we are uh, constant. I remember I had a button that said life is a constant audition and it, it, it really is. It truly is. And it's all about yeah. the, 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 that whole preparation. But you brought preparation to golf. Let's talk about your new film. And again, yeah, yeah I, let's yeah. get let's get right Perfect to that. Segment. Yeah. Good. So, George, well, you know, walking with her yeah. it was a was a book, and you know they sent me the script, and you know I've known Edward almost for over thirty years, and and I, mm -hmm. I that's funny I talked to the producers on Monday, and I said to Eddie, I texted him, I said, hey man, you know anything about this script? And he's like, who's this? I said, it's, it's George, and he's like, uh, no, I don't. I said, well, you, wow, you don't, because they told me that you did, and uh, uh, he said, I'll, I'll find out though, and then when. Uh, he found out he liked it, and then we, we talked about it. I don't think I would have done it if it wasn't – if he wasn't in it, I don't think he would have done it if I wasn't in it. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Is that based on your relationship? How did, how did that relationship start? Um, you, know, he, you know, in 88, he had just done, you know, uh, Stand and Deliver. Yeah. And I was just starting out, and I saw him at uh, – I saw him at um, uh, a, a luncheon, and I performed at the luncheon. And then he, he was nice enough to ask me to, you know, come to his house for lunch. And I went to his house for lunch. He asked me what I aspired to do. And, and gradually after that, you know, I started to have some success. And I would always see him. And, uh, you know, he was always kind of like a mentor. And then when I started to do more TV and stuff, that he did, he did the couple, last couple episodes of my sitcom. And then he was on the like, talk shows and stuff. and you know, this it's just, you know, it's funny that something like this movie that's space based really started in 88, because if he had not reached out to me, I'm not sure that we would have had the relationship that we had, which was, you know, essential to both of us agreeing to do this movie. Right. Well, one of the you know, I watched the the preview and, and I see you're a, a motorcycling um, uh I couldn't tell if it's if it's Angel or what. You drive right up in the middle of him hitting a golf ball um, in the in the preview. Oh. Um, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm that was I'm a, that was an Indian. I think that motorcycle weighed 1,100 pounds. Uh, it's beautiful yeah. motorcycle. Oh, when they, I remember when they would tell me, "Have you ever moved the refrigerator?" And I was like, uh, <laughs> well, "I had one fall on me," and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you have to keep the center." balance you know it's so funny how balance works like you know that that motorcycle mm -hmm. felt like it weighed nothing until it got a little over to the right or a little over to the left right there's no way that you're keeping that thing upright and i i i, I dropped it a couple of times now now so now so george tell us the premise really quickly of the film well you know everything you know this movie is would i i think would be considered you know faith-based um, mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think all movies are essentially, you know, that anything that wants to make you feel good is based in faith. So um, uh, Edward James almost plays a banker who has lost a couple of people in his family. He's really kind of lost his faith in God and lost his faith in humanity and in, and in life. And um, I see it, you know, as a, as a, as a messenger, nobody really knows I'm a messenger yet. And then as, as I see things, I, I say, Hey, you know, I've been sent here to, get you to play golf and enjoy yourself and all you have to do is trust and believe that you can be better and things will be better and um he doesn't believe me his wife is like oh yeah yeah you you know i get him to play good enough to enter this golf tournament and she's like there's no way and then as he starts to get a smile back and get his emotions back and get his life back together you see that it really isn't about golf. It's just about accomplishing something that you thought you couldn't do or thought that something that left you. And as you start to do that and you started to uh, gain his confidence, everything in his life changed. So it's not golf. It could be painting. It could be gardening. It could be whatever anybody is into that you start to see something beautiful happen. It's going to restore, it's going to restore your faith. Yeah. You know, one thing that that uh, you know I say regularly is is you know because we get we get caught up right, and that's what I think this movie is is getting into is yeah. you know this this who am I and my identity, and, yeah. and we get lost in ourselves. Um, and I got hit a while back. You know, fear of failure is fear of living, um, and that just hit me because because we 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 get so caught up in the fear of failure that we stop living. Um, but when we start mm-hmm. believing in ourselves again. It's amazing what we can accomplish, um, which is which exactly. is faith based, which is which is life based, which is what this movie is. Um, and I I loved one of the lines uh, at the very end of the at the very end of the um, of of the trailer. Uh, something to the effect of I've never seen two sober people sober people have so much fun at golf. And I was like, that's, okay, that's I'm looking so forward to this. That's uh, so great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you guys have fun yeah, in the movie. Absolutely. We're looking forward to seeing it. You know, and Eric, go, yeah, like, go ahead, go ahead, George. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Eric. No, Eric. I, I so yeah. So let's, Jared. Let's uh, ask George what, the quick legacy question. We got to let him go. So go ahead, the question. Absolutely. So George, one of the things that we talk about in our show is it's called living a legacy for a reason, right? And and we talk to a lot of celebrities. It's considered celebrities like yourself and amazing people how they use their influence to impact the world around them. Right. And, and you brought laughter um, and, and a lot of hard days for people. They could watch they could watch you and laugh and just get some get some hope and some levity. And, and, and it, it really does make an impact. So uh, that's why we wanted to have you here is because you do live a legacy and the, and the laughter and joy that you bring to people. Uh, so with that, wow. the other question we'd like to go ahead. Yeah. No, you know, I, I was fr- I, I've been friends with a lot of military guys and one of the guys. What's the next? Was listening to my comedy. He had all of it on an iPod, and yeah. uh, he got uh, blown up um, by an IED, yeah. and the truck exploded, and the guys, you know, went flying. They were hurt, and he was laying there, and he heard my voice in his ear, in his earbuds, and he's like, "I'm alive." <laughs> you know? wow. And he goes, "He goes, I didn't know where I was, but I knew." that I was hearing your voice. And when I heard your voice, I was happy because I knew I was alive. Yeah. Wow. 
So that's the power you know, of it. Anything like that. When you're writing jokes or you're traveling right. on a bus or, or in the middle of the night, you get back to the hotel and you're just exhausted. Those are the things that you may not all, I don't get a lot of those messages, but the ones that are important, I think, find me. Yeah. Yeah. That, so how do you want to be remembered? Well, I'm, I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, in a, in a society where there's so much driven negativity towards people, um, I, I would just like to be remembered for helping other people. When it, when I started, I was very selfish, and I'm not anymore. And I, I think my journey was to understand what it was like to have nothing, and then when you have something, in order to be considered fulfilled, you have to give some of that away to people you don't know. Awesome. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know you got to jump. Uh, appreciate it. Again, uh, April 30th. The, it's in theaters nationwide, April 30th. Walking with her. Thanks, George Lopez. Appreciate, appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah, Take care. Well Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That was Living a Legacy, guys. Take care. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light in the Morning podcast. I'm excited to welcome Margo Lenmark. Margo, how are you? What's going on? I, I'm fine, Neil. I'm, how are you? Hey, you know, it's just another day here, you know, always uh, grinding. <laughs> July has been a really crazy month. And the reason July is oh, it sure has. Is because now we're out of a pandemic in certain ways. So people were traveling and I think they've forgotten uh, where they've been because they really waited to July to schedule travel. I see. That's what I've been seeing. As yeah, month. we always see it. We have a busy July up here in the mountains because everybody's trying to get out of the heat. So we're we're always busy and we still are. <laughs> That's good. All right. So we're going to continue the conversation like last time was absolutely amazing when you were talking about, again, the story to think about specifically being able through a medium to be able to hear the conversations, to know and develop and understand dreams and to see that he needed to go away i mean that exactly is so powerful and i was talking about it before that that's highlighted in like different lifetime sh- not lifetimes but uh discovery channel shows and uh, tlc about truly this happens that really sometimes people who pass on do not want to go into their next place they want to stay here not knowing it's time for them to leave Right. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of different things can happen. And that's why my book is so interesting because a lot of different things did happen. And that was one of them. That was really an interesting story. I I agree. Everybody's just kind of blown away by that one. Absolutely. So let's continue what, what, what what we're going to talk a little bit about and summarize for the next chapter. Okay. What we're going to talk about, the next chapter is about the miracle pie and it really was a miracle. And so I'm going to explain the miracle the unexplainable, (laughs) 
But before I tell that story, I want to tell the beginning of that story, just because it's an interesting tidbit that people should be aware of. This was a story about my friend Tom who died of cancer. And um, the day before he died, or a couple days maybe, he went into a coma. So the last chance I got to see him, I went into the hospital. And I went in really early so I could spend time by myself before everybody else got in there to visit him. He was in a coma. I put my face really close to his. And I said, Tom, I'm looking right. I'm really close to you. And I'm looking right into your eyes. Are you in there? If you are, blink your eyes. And he blinked his eyes. And I just freaked out. I went, oh, my God, you're there. Oh, my God. Because when people are in a coma, you don't know where they are. He blinked his eyes. And when he blinked his eyes, his eyes stayed open just a slit. And I could see him literally laughing. You know how your eyes kind of twinkle when you're laughing. I could see that twinkle in his eye when he saw me just jumping up and down the fact that, that I knew he was there. So it was very cool. And since I knew he was there, I just talked and talked and talked and told him a whole bunch of stuff. And, and then I had to go. And so when I left, I, I stood up again and went over to him. And I, I just said, Tom, I want to thank you for being such a great friend and for always being there for me. I won't be able to come back now because I'm leaving. But um, I just thanked him so sincerely. And, you know, that little slit filled with tears. <laughs> it was so incredible. And I tell that's not the miracle of the miracle pie, but that's a really important thing for people to realize is that when people are in a coma, they hear everything. They know everything. It's like they're completely alert, completely there. They just cannot communicate with you. I think that's really important for people to know. It's so important for people to know, Margo, because even though they can't communicate they probably, they are able to feel it. So when some people are nonverbal through a coma or through specifically become losing their ability to communicate, that doesn't mean that they can't uh, be able to understand hear and hear you. Yeah, exactly. They hear completely. Yeah. So, so that was just a, a really important thing I wanted to, to put in there because that was in this chapter about Tom. So here's what happened. Um, we had a memorial service for him. And then we were told by this very wise person that um, you should have this celebration for the people that die 10 days after they've died because their body is completely processed and they will be there. You know, you know, they will be more present, even though you can't see them. So we did that. We had a memorial service and we found that out. So then 10 days after he died, we had a dinner party and we walked into the dinner party. It was at his girlfriend, Ann's house. We walked into the dinner party. There's um, we could feel Tom there. We, you, you, it was palpable. You could just feel him. It was incredible. Um, there was a table set up in the dining room for 12. There was a table for five in the kitchen. And these were all Tom's closest friends. So we had a wonderful dinner and telling stories and blah, blah, blah. It was great. And then at the end, Anne comes over with 17 plates and she puts them on the table for dessert. And then she comes in with this little apple pie. And I mean little, like six piece apple oh, pie. And she walks in and she says, Deborah brought dessert. And she puts it on the table. And we all look at each other at, at the big table where we were. And we're all looking going, I'm not having any pie. 
I'm not having any pie. We all just said, we're not having pie. The pie is going to the kitchen because the kitchen didn't see how small the pie was. So we knew that the whole pie was going to the kitchen. So I started cutting the pie and handing it to Deborah, and she'd take the plate and hand it toward the kitchen. And then I'd cut another piece of pie and hand it to Deborah. She'd take the plate and hand it toward the kitchen. And we were just passing the pie toward the kitchen while we were telling stories about Tom. So we're telling these stories, we're laughing, we're cutting pie, we're passing it, adding forks, you know, just the whole thing. And the whole thing kept going on and on and on. And then finally we heard from the kitchen, we all got pie. And I looked around our table and every single person had pie at our table. And in the, except for Deborah and I, and in the pan was a great big piece of pie that could be cut in half and she could have a piece and I could have a piece. And then we all had pie. And we were we were so blown away. We just looked at each other and said, loaves and fishes. That six piece pie just served 17 people. Oh my and goodness. And we it's, I mean it was incredible. We we just couldn't you you know it was an apple pie, it was a big crumbly apple pie. You can't cut it and really thin pieces of pie. And that's why we were gonna cut pieces and send them to the kitchen, which we did. Well, it was incredible. We were we were laughing. We just couldn't believe it. And then um, somebody asked me to tell this one story. So I started telling this story and I was about 30 seconds in and I just burst out laughing. I put my head on the table and I said, do you guys realize we all got pie? Because only the people in my immediate vicinity could really see what was going on. Everybody else just thought they got pie, you know. And so we, we, it was really, truly incredible. And that night, oh, 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 and I, I looked up, I, my, I threw my head on the table just laughing. I was laughing so hard. And I looked up and I could see Tom out of the corner of my eye. He was picking up this kind of white stuff. It was kind of like clouds, but a little bit heavier. Picking up this white stuff and just throwing in the air and picking up more white stuff and throwing it in the air. And he was just telling me that there's plenty. There's always enough. There's plenty. He was just throwing this stuff around. So that was just incredible. And that night I, I went home and I called Deborah and I left her a message on her machine. And I said, where did the pie come from? Did, did, the, did the little pie pan empty out and fill back up again? Or did we cut a piece and it filled back up again and it never emptied until we got to the last, what, six pieces? What where did the pie come? Where did that pie come from? I was laughing so hard, and she and I talked about it the next day, and we 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 just we still can't believe it. And, I mean, we do believe it because it happened, and it's so interesting how miracles happen when you're definitely when you're not looking. You know, we it it it's that's why it becomes a miracle because you can't have any idea of how it happened. It just happened. So powerful, Margo. Uh, absolutely so powerful because you think about it in so many ways and say that you never know the experiences that happen when people pass on that yet their spirit lives on and miracles like this happen, even though it was just to serve. Oh, I mean, yeah. And, you know, it's a really good lesson for people to understand that miracles really do happen that there really is something else going on in life. And if we could just believe that, I mean, I've never been worried about money or anything ever since. 
because when you have an experience like that, something happens in your physiology and it changes you. And so it changed my awareness to realize that we don't have a thing to worry about. Nobody has anything to worry about. And if they could, if they could just grasp that, they would really have a very wonderful life. <laughs> they wouldn't be worrying so much about all these little things because, um, yeah, Tom just really, really showed us the miracle. It was, it was incredible. Absolutely. And the best place to go and get the book is it's available on Amazon, but also at lightinthemorning.com. So that's the two places that people can go and they can listen to the Light in the Morning podcast anytime by just going to all the different places, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, all those different places and make sure they give a review to let people know how much they're enjoying these great stories. So I appreciate it, Margo. Thanks again for uh, stopping by. And this again, each each chapter is starting to blow. You said, well, four was my favorite and this one's my favorite. Well, we don't know. I think every chapter <laughs> is your favorite in some way. And it's really teaching us about yeah. the importance of living each moment, but also when they're, they pass exactly. each, moment, each moment. So thanks again, Margo. Yep. And that people don't die. <laughs> exactly. They just keep living on. Thanks, Margo. Take care. That's right. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That was the Light of the Morning Podcast. Take care, guys. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby! What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and we're going to continue our conversation embracing the abyss with John Smith. John, how are you? What chapter are you on next? I'm good, Neil. I'm on chapter nine. Okay. And um, chapter nine was probably the, the, the turning point uh, where the the big uh, <clears throat> began to surface. Um, and the name of the chapter is Drippy, D-R-P-I. And that's short for Dondi Residential Properties, Inc. Okay. They were known as Drippy. Okay. Here we go. From August 83 to September 86, I served in various positions at Vernon Savings and Loan, beginning as a vice president and ending as its chief operating officer. During this time, my duties included establishing internal procedures for lending. I developed the borrower's loan guide, which established Vernon's procedures for making loans and processing loans internally. In mid to late 1984, Vernon was experiencing difficulty with certain assets owned by its subsidiaries, one of them being known as Dondi Residential Properties, DRPI, D-R-P-I. The DRPI projects included various real estate partnerships, condo projects, raw land in Texas, Florida, Louisiana, and California. Although sales of condominiums had begun to decline in 83 and 84, DRPI was able to package the projects in a manner that would boost the capital equity of 
Vernon Savings. But they were becoming problem projects. DRPI would soon be facing audit write downs on the value of these assets, which would result in losses for Drippy. The losses would then flow up into Vernon Savings, the parent. It was my understanding that sales of the Drippy projects would be to Dixon's stable of borrowers, as he called it, for a sales price equal to the cost on Drippy's books. I was responsible for seeing that the Drippy properties were sold on terms that would cause the sales to be in compliance with uh, a rule FAS 66, recognition of gains on sales of real estate. I prepared several memos containing the rules for these sales and circulated them to other members of Vernon Savings staff that were working on their Drippy sales. Dixon's actual, Don Dixon's actual scheme, as I later found out, was to arrange phony sales of the Drippy projects to mustache buyers to avoid write-downs. Dixon and certain other officers would arrange the sales to certain preferred borrowers, borrowers of Vernon Savings. These sales were documented to appear genuine when in fact they were phony. A group of borrowers did exist at Vernon Savings who had developed a preferred status. These borrowers were hand selected by Dixon to purchase the projects. The borrowers who participated in the Drippy scheme could be eligible for future loans from Vernon Savings. If a customer did not participate in a Drippy scheme, the customer would not be given much consideration for future loans and for renewal of loans that came due. After Dixon bought the SNL, Woody became the president of Vernon Savings. It didn't take Woody long to become busy with Dixon's deals. So Junior from Vernon was appointed the new president and moved to Dallas. Woody became Vernon's chairman of the board. Junior was, a th was thrilled to be the president of Vernon Savings. He liked the bright lights, the big cities, the jets, and the trips. He just couldn't get enough. He really went to his head. It went, really went to his head. Junior always carried a couple of hundred dollars in his pocket to entertain the ladies he might meet on the road. I liked Junior. He was a likable guy, but Junior always had a drinking problem. Always. He drank to get drunk. There was no middle. In fact, a lot of people who worked for Vernon Savings had drinking problems. Drippy sold the projects under the scheme for the amount that the Drippy and Vernon Savings had invested in the project and dictated by Dixon. These projects could not be sold on the open market for the price Dixon dictated. Many of the sales of properties were made at a price that exceeded, exceeded the appraised value of the property. For these properties sold at a price in excess of the appraised value at the at the time, additional loans were made on an unsecured basis so that the full sales price of the drippy property could be loaned to the borrower. So oh, wow. now they're making up phony oh, wow. loans. The loan documentation called for interest on the drippy loans to be due semi-annually. However, the drippy borrowers understood that they would not have to actually pay any interest to Vernon Savings 
on these drippy loans. And they would be provided with another vehicle, such as another loan or another entity from which to make the interest payment. When the interest actually came due, another scheme was concocted that in reality allowed Vernon Savings to fund the interest payments to itself. Without any regard for the stated rules of compliance or proper recognition of sales on gains on sales, Dixon had secretly structured the drippy sales. Fantasy partnerships or syndications which held interest in certain drippy properties were created by Vernon Savings and its affiliates. The scheme was that these fantasy partnerships would sell their drippy assets to borrowers in a repurchase of the drippy property. Unsecured loans were intentionally omitted from the loan closing statements, so the federal examiners would not notice that the total loans were in excess of appraised values. And that's all about drippy. That's how they were doing it. That's how they were trying to get drippy off the books. Wow. That's the end. Chapter oh. 10 is next. So did you know about all that was happening with Drippy? Were you starting to get concerned when you start seeing that stuff? No, I didn't, I didn't know about it. When I said I didn't know about it, um, I, I found out in non-interest loans and that you, these fantasy partnerships, I didn't find out these until the feds came in. Wow. Crazy. That's how they work. That's how he did it. And here I was, you know, writing, writing up uh, uh, new criteria for, for, for making loans, and they're just ignoring, you know, they're probably burning them. They're just ignoring them, throw them in a fire. Not paying, they didn't pay any attention to what I came up with. Right. But, you know, they, 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 they did what Dixon wanted them to do. And that's when, but and many companies were doing this this time, John, there was a lot of scandals with savings and loans at that time. That's right. Absolutely. And one of the, the, the scams was that um, SNLs would swap assets. And what they would do is that would you, you, you take, this dog has fleas, how many fleas do you need for me to get rid of? And then they were, the change would occur and we'd still, we, there were swaps made for, for loans. And all that, all that served for purpose was only about six months. It gave them six months to try and figure out how to get rid of what they had. Right. Of what they'd done to, to, to that point. Yeah, it was, um, and, and that's how this, the, the SNLs in Texas all had these kind of deals going on. Uh, my dogs have fleas. How about you? You know, that was the saying going along. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. You can go check out his book and get it all since not waiting till it's over by going to embracingthebiz.com and also searching for integrity.com where John Smith has a podcast that people can listen to. We appreciate it. And again, I guess the story is going to continue to go. So you find out when John goes to trial, all the different things by the reading, embracing the this. So I appreciate it, John. And we'll talk sure. next week. Okay. All right. That was the Neil Haley show special edition with embracing the this. Take care. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall show. I'm excited to welcome the program. Dr. Christopher Hall, Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. 
Well, no problem. Yeah, uh, and, I, and, and I'm pumped hard. up also. You're a No Ball Prize nominee. That's the cool thing. I got to always put that in your title now, uh, but I always like to say that. So Nobel Prize nominee, top level uh, COVID expert. We talked about COVID before anyone else. Remember, I got you booked on a, about 20 podcasts when no one thought it would ever come to the United States. And that and we're kind of going into that almost phase of uh, how many years ago we were we were starting to discuss these things. You know what I mean? Yeah, very true. And it's good that we, you know, we did get out and, and, and got good information out and, uh, and now we can see what, what's really going on. So, uh, wow. The whole, the whole, uh, scenario just has like, just been, uh, been kind of fascinating, uh, and even tricky at points. It is. And let's kind of just jump right into the, you know, the, those particulars and kind of looking at the particulars, first of all, uh, jumping into the, the process. Let's talk about right now, even though we went to no masks all over the country, if you're vaccinated, we are now seeing an uptick because of the new strain being here. Isn't that true, Dr. Hall? We know that's very true. And and so in general, kind of what we're seeing, uh, we started to notice about early June that the cases that reported in the United States uh, were at about 8,000 or so uh, a day. Uh, just recently, July 14th, uh, it's now reporting positive uh, infections uh, at 33,000 a day. And so it has steadily increased from the about mid to late June to now. Um, that other number, the hospitalizations, again, the CDC looks at it over a seven-day period, and they give a seven-day average. Um, so not this past seven days, but the prior seven days, the average hospitalization was uh, about 161 a day. And so for the last seven weeks, it's went up to 211 or so uh, over a seven-day average for admissions to the hospital. So again, we see the hospital admissions increasing. We see the number of cases increasing. And um, and therefore, we know that the death rate is also going to increase because as hospitalizations increase, the death rate also increases. And so this brings up another question. The newest variant, Dr. Hall, that's something that we have to look at ultimately right now is the newest variant is more contagious. Isn't that correct? Than the first COVID uh, wave that we dealt with, right? Exactly. And the way to think about it is, is that this newest variant, variant um, pretty much um, causes the illness to spread faster. Um, and... Actually, uh, in England, they found that uh, some of the symptoms were a little more severe with the, the new variant. Now, what's to note is um, the vaccinations that are occurring, the vaccinations that are occurring across the country, and how effective has that been? So if we look at that data, um, what the CDC will report is they're saying about 45% of Americans have received one dose of one of the vaccines. Uh, and they said about, I'm sorry, uh, 59% about one dose. And they said about 45% they believe are fully vaccinated. So when you think about that, and you think about the other people who have been uh, received immunity through, uh, say, um, initial exposure just from uh, oral from that virus. Right. There are a lot of people out here with antibodies to the virus. Okay, one part of the virus with spike protein or or other parts of the virus through those immunity processes. So 
the fact that the the, the uh, number of positive cases would go from eight thousand to thirty three thousand over two three weeks doesn't really uh, support that we have uh, this level of immunity that's reported by the CDC, and so we have a dilemma. So asymptomatics, another part of this problem, right? Many people are walking around with COVID right now at all and are dealing with it, right? Exactly. And there are a lot of people who, like, again, um, who have gotten it through, have just through eating food, who you know, their, their GI has been exposed to it, and they have um, mucosal antibodies to it. And then there are people who have, uh, who have been vaccinated. Now, this is what's important to note. Um, the, uh, as you can see, once the virus mutates and, you know, we have a different strain of it, like now we have the Delta, you see that outbreaks will occur. And so we can already predict that with the same vaccine in place, as the virus mutates, more outbreaks will occur. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we rely on the vaccine for the multiple mutations that will occur uh, over the next so many months and years? Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about the vaccine, uh, Dr. Hall, and all these stuff or, or medicines, I think it's a great point because you can't constantly get vaccinated. I mean, what has happened in this in this process? If we figure out the ways to treat, like you talked about uh, Dr. Ben Marble and your business, and that business again is Dr. Hall. What is it again? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is my, what is that website again? For- yeah, you know, myfreedoctor.com. And it's a place where you have, again, a number of greatest doctors. Uh, a lot of them have been actually nominated for the Nobel Prize uh, for the work with, uh, surrounding COVID. But you have doctors who are willing to treat you with medicines that are effective. And again, what lies before America are the two approaches to treatment for this medication. And this is what it comes to, for this illness, rather. This is what it comes down to. Again, do we rely on a vaccine that we have to keep uh, updating, keep improving for new mutants, okay? And again, we know that just uh, with the vaccines uh, so far, we've had, uh, if you look at the uh, adverse reporting system uh, by the CDC, the government, um, uh, nine to 10,000 deaths uh, from the uh, vaccine. So uh, it would not make sense to keep updating a vaccine, have more deaths, more adverse reactions. When you have a medicine a uh, number of medicines that are effective to treat this. Again, think about how we treat the flu. People certainly get the flu vaccine, but as we go throughout the season, we don't keep, for that particular season, changing the vaccine every month, every two months, and we don't do that. We treat them with Tamiflu and with other medicines that have been shown to work effectively. Why we're not taking this approach with COVID, I'm not quite sure. So, okay, so, so hydroxychloroquine, uh, zithromycin and also just z- just other types of things and now this latest virus dr hall meaning the latest mutation of this virus is it as deadly as the first no doubt and the fact is um data from across the world particularly what we saw in india most recently shows that this delta strain is more deadly than the initial COVID virus that we experienced uh during the uh uh, initial pandemic stage. And so that's what we saw in India. We saw that they started to use ivermectin and then we saw the cases drop, the hospitalizations drop, and the deaths drop. Um, some would like to attribute that to uh, 
vaccinations that occurred in India. But if you look closer at the data, you'll see that when they started using ivermectin is when the death rate and constellations start to go down in India. And so I think that um, if that approach uh, is very effective. It's been shown to work in India. Interesting. And so what is your recommendation for people, especially that are not wearing masks at all, are not really social distancing? Is that really the best bet right now when we're about to go on fire again? What would you recommend a, a normal person do to kind of be social distance in certain aspects? They've stopped talking about that, saying you don't need masks or anything. That might have been too early of a process, right, to just open everything up for people that are vaccinated. Well, this is the deal. I think that, um, you know, um, the data is showing that the vaccine that we have is not going to be effective uh, to control this illness and to control uh, people from dying uh, from COVID and being reinfected. So we have data that's starting to show that. Um, we certainly do need to social distance. Again, you need to obviously wash your hands. Um, but the most effective treatment, again, if you start to have symptoms, those symptoms of COVID could be, uh, something simple as sore throat, body aches, headache, fever, particularly fever. Um, you know, you need to get to a uh, treatment facility where you can get early treatment with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, ivermectin, and those vitamins that have been shown to be effective in fighting this virus. And so that's the, that is what it's going to come down to. Um, if I were to predict the future, I'd say that um, effective medicine will control this virus, um, and uh, uh, I think that's where we're going. All right, so the best place to go check you out and stuff, Dr. Hall, is to follow you on your social media. Check out the Dr. Christopher Hall show on all different places. Google you, but also the best bet is uh, you have a couple websites to go to too, right? And you can purchase your book on Amazon. Exactly, yeah. Amazon, the book World of Court, which details my life from growing up in foster home, four years old, to boys' home, to juvenile hall, uh, until I was 18, off to college. So, yes, the book is there with all the details, and um, I'm hoping this is a message that uh, America will really uh, resonate. Uh, resonate uh, all right. Well. well, we appreciate it, Chris. The Great information again. Congratulations again being a Nobel Prize nominee, and you're really making a difference, and I'm glad. Next week we'll be back to celebrities, but I thought this is a perfect timing with the virus increasing to get a take from a doctor, especially a Nobel Prize uh, nominated doctor. So appreciate it, Dr. Hall. No problem. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to Dr. Christopher Hall Show, guys, and take care.